Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Gospel Nate. Uh, we're getting back into our regularly scheduled broadcasts here, coming in on Saturdays around about 10 o'clock in the morning. This one's going to be a little bit late. We've had a lot going on this week. So I appreciate your patience and all of your sticking through this and sticking through my podcasts. But having said that, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started in this. And we'll start with some prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word once again. Father, that we can know your plan for our lives and how you wish us to interact with you simply because of your word. We know what our hearts should be doing. And Lord, we know how we should be responding to things. So we give you the praise that you have given us all that we need that pertains to life and glory. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So last week we left off on James 3.13. We started going into it, uh, but we didn't really cover it in its entirety. We kind of skipped around to some other issues that the Lord had put in my heart. And James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Understanding was the word epistemon and meant overknowledge. Conduct was anastrophe or manner of life, behavior, or deportment. Then we went on a rabbit trail because the Lord had asked me a question. He said, what would your life look like if you were completely submitted and had no agenda of your own? So we started talking about meekness because as we found out, meekness was not equal to weakness. Meekness equals submitted to authority and empowered by that authority with no agenda of your own. Jesus was the good shepherd and submitted his soul to the father. And we went over that in John 10, where he illustrates how he is the good shepherd and he gives us a model of how we're supposed to live that out, where you take your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you submit them before the father and find out what the father wants for the sheep. Now we are the sheep and some of us have been put in the position of shepherds, but that doesn't mean that just because some of us were put in that position that not all of us are required to have that same kind of meekness and that same kind of submission. In your spirit, you're already fully submitted, all right? The moment you ask for salvation and ask Jesus to come into your life, you became completely and totally submitted in your spirit. Everything in there became perfect. Everything in there became functional. Everything in there became alive. The soul still needs to be submitted in different areas because we can see in the areas of our life where we respond properly to things that those areas are more submitted to the father than areas where we are not responding properly. So areas where we have selfishness, areas where we have hardness of heart, judgments against other people. These are the things that are clear signs that we have a submission issue in that area. We call that process sanctification of the soul. And going back to Jesus and his model of submission, he always promoted the Father in heaven. He shows us how to submit, and his whole purpose behind that submission was to bring us into relationship with the Father. It was never about just him being awesome and great, but rather him showing us the way to the Father. 
him showing us the truth about the Father and him showing us that the Father would give us life. So it wasn't about promoting himself and his awesomeness, all right, and getting us to that area where we understand what the Father is and who the Father is and what the Father is trying to accomplish. It all comes back to relationship every single time without fail. So Jesus never had an agenda that wasn't from the Father, and the ultimate points of that was relationship. And having no agenda of your own was a good thing, as we looked at it. It allows us to truly be known. Because see, typically, when we're trying to promote ourselves, or we're trying to get people to see who we are, and what we want, and what we do, it's not always necessarily promoting the bad stuff about us, but it's just trying to get other people to know who we are and know just us, to see us. Because we live in something of an attention-deprived world where it is just about us. And it goes the same way for every single other person out there. We're all trying to be known, but if you haven't received healing in the areas of your heart where you have wounds or you have hardness, uh, life choices that cause you to react in inappropriately, physical pain, uh, sickness, all these other different things that aren't the real you, that aren't the person that Jesus created you to be in the first place in your spirit, then that's all you're going to promote and that's all people are going to see. Um, I know people who promote that sort of thing in their life. When that's what you're promoting all the time, and I have heard people say, you know, they are just so bad in this area, or they're just so hurt in this area, or they've experienced so much in this area, that this becomes their identity. What they're promoting are the wounds. What they're promoting are the things that have affected them in a bad way. And as a result of this bad effect, they now have this response or this mindset that is inconsistent with what God has created them to be. So they're, we're not actually getting to know the real person, which is the big issue. Because if we're not getting to know the real person that God created you to be, then all we're getting to know is a lie. That may not be intentional, but that is unfortunately how it plays out. So the more you are submitted to the Father, the more you make him known, the more he is known, the more you are known as you begin to become healed in your soul. And the issues that you have in your heart become non-issues because the hardness is removed and the things of the spirit are able to move from the spirit into your soul, thereby affecting change, affecting your identity and making you more of who you are supposed to be in the first place. Now let's jump back into this and see where the Lord goes with it. Now, James three, verse 13, and again, as usual, reading from the New King James Version. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. We know the definition of understanding and conduct. Wisdom in this case is referring to spiritual wisdom. It's a wisdom from God. Meekness is submitted to that wisdom without an agenda. So we've just gone over all this stuff, so it should be very fresh, right? But see, this is a call out to people in the church. Do you think you are wise? Do you think you have overknowledge? Then show it by having no agenda with this heavenly wisdom that is submitted to that heavenly wisdom. James 3.14 says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, 
do not boast and lie against the truth. Now, the word bitter there is the Greek word pikros, sharp, that is pungent or acrid. Acrid means having an irritatingly strong and unpleasant taste or smell. It's very potent. The word envy is zelos, excitement of the mind, also often translated as zeal or fervor of spirit. It's in this case used as an unpleasant excitement, uh, not really a good state to be in. So all the intentions, all the focus, all the mind, all the desires is a very negative one. Self-seeking, also known as strife in various other locations in the Bible, is Ertheia. Intrigue by implication, a faction, electioneering, or intriguing of office. In layman's terms, to promote yourself by any means necessary. Taking others down just so you can move ahead of them. James is calling out people who are entirely selfishly motivated. You know, people who have chosen to raise themselves up at the expense of others because they desire things that other people either have or other people are in the way of them obtaining. It goes on to say, do not boast and lie against the truth. Boast is Greek word katakaukomai, to exalt against or over something else. You're lifting up lies and bad behavior as spiritual truth and wisdom. Now, the word truth, aletheia, is objective truth. It's true regardless of opinion, like gravity. So, if I say, sex outside of marriage is bad, that's objective truth based in scripture, and it's true regardless of what you feel. If I say, lying is bad, it is true based on scripture, objectively, and no matter how you spin it, it's still bad. So, this is what this truth is in reference to it is that objective truth and no matter how much you fight it it will still be true regardless of your emotions James 3 15 through 16 this wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly sensual demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist confusion and every evil thing are there confusion Greek word akatastasia is instability or disorder so nothing is stable, nothing is orderly, everything is in chaos. And then it goes on to say that every evil thing or a work or a deed that has been done, specifically something that's flawed or morally corrupt. And why? James 14 just told us why. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. He's talking about walking in the flesh. And this changes everything. It changes the atmosphere. And as a result, when everyone is looking out for themselves, confusion abounds. Same thing happens when we're worshiping our flesh and we're trying to take from others for ourselves. Nothing good happens here. This is earthly wisdom. This is pleasing your own senses in the flesh. This is what we call operating in the territory of demons envying, self-worship, self-promotion, boasting against the truth. And I say that because if you look at the, the history of Lucifer, who was cast out of heaven and then became Satan, that was his whole deal. He had envy of what the father had. He had jealousy. He was trying to promote himself, and then he tried to take for himself, and he led a third of heaven in rebellion with him. Didn't work out. So these kinds of behaviors are operating in 
demonic realms. Clearly not something we want to be operating in because all that's going to do is bring physical and soulish and if you're not saved, spiritual death. Although if you're not saved, your spirit's already dead, so now would be a good time to start asking if you need Jesus, and the answer is yes. If you'd like more information, I have an email. I will include that in the link. Hit me up, we'll talk, and we'll work that out, okay? So, if you are wise and understanding, as you claim to be, show it by good conduct. Show it by works done in meekness of wisdom show you are submitted to Jesus. When people see Jesus in your works, they will know you are different. This will show who you were meant to be, like we talked about just last week and at the beginning of this episode. You'll be truly known for who you really are instead of who you think you're supposed to be. And as I said, people will not know the real us until the wounds are healed and judgment is removed wrong responses to trigger events. You know, somebody says something that upsets you. You see something that causes you to respond incorrectly. Uh, somebody accuses you of something and you take it to heart rather than taking it to Jesus. We're seeing results of wounds there. But when Jesus shines through you, you shine through with him, the real you, as you were meant to be. Verses 14, 15, and 16 is the wounded heart the one with bitterness that hasn't been dealt with. This means that we're still dealing with meekness. We're still dealing with a heart that has not been submitted to the healing works of the Lord, to get the healed spirit stuff into the wounded soul to have the healing in your soul. So now let's look at the next part of this, James 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Willing to yield is awesome. It's the Greek word eupithes, easily obeying or compliant. Obeying and compliant to what you ask? Well, that would be to Jesus and the Father. None of this happens without submission to them. So we're right back into meekness, submitted to authority, and empowered by that authority with no agenda of your own. Pure, well, we get that from Jesus, right? What about peaceable? We learn that from Jesus as well. And how about gentle? Right responses learned from Jesus. Willing to yield. If you're unwilling, then there is a heart issue where you do not trust him. You do not know how much you are loved in that area of your life. It finishes off by saying full of mercy, which comes from Jesus, and good fruits, which comes to submission to Jesus, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And if you're submitting your soul, your mind, will, and emotions to Jesus, you'll have a lack of partiality towards people because you will begin seeing them how he sees them. You're laying down what you think, feel, and want for what he thinks, feels, and wants which automatically puts you in an area of no hypocrisy. You're walking what you're talking. You're not just preaching it, but you're living it. James 3, 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, here is the funny part. Righteousness is a fruit of peace. 
Peace comes from those who make peace. Jesus made peace between us and the Father. He is the example of the peacemaker. In no way did this involve excusing sin. At what point did we know peace with God? When we submitted to Jesus. When we have no agenda of our own, we submit and we get healing. If I have hardness of heart in some area, and I am unwilling to submit that area to Jesus, I am unwilling to work on the issue. Then I will not know peace in that area of my heart. I will always be at strife and turmoil with the Father because I haven't gotten to the point of submitting it to him and gaining his heart for that area and that issue, so I don't know the love, and if I don't know the love, I'm going to feel at odds with the Lord for however long it takes me to deal with that issue, and there will be no peace. Here are some examples. In my sexual purity, if I have an issue there and I do not submit to the process of dealing with it, then I am at war with God. I will fight with him to prove that I am right or to prove that he is wrong, which is pretty much the opposite side of the same coin. I will justify my sin with excuses all day long. And this applies to things like porn, sex outside of marriage, masturbation, fill in the blank with anything that is sexual. What about money? Working 18 jobs when Jesus didn't say to work 18 jobs. Did I ask him what job I should have? Did I submit to his provision? Am I working my tail off to provide for myself? I'm basically telling him by doing that, that he is not enough and that he will never be enough. I'm telling him that I must do all the work to make it work. Now, I'm not saying that having multiple jobs is a bad thing. I've worked multiple jobs in the past. I am saying, ask Jesus how many and which ones, because sometimes you're in a position where you shouldn't be in it because you're trying to make things work on your own strength. And you don't want to be in a Jeremiah 17:5 situation, which, as we should have memorized by now, thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Now, for reference sake and for... A better understanding of how you can apply this scripture to your own life, I'm going to sub my name in there. Cursed is the Nathaniel who trusts in Nathaniel and makes flesh his strength. When Nathaniel's heart departs from the Lord, for Nathaniel shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. It's desolate, it's dry. It's lonely and it's full of a lot of hard work. I have been there. I do not like being there and I will do my absolute best to not be there again. There's no peace in that situation and there's really no joy in that situation. However, if I take this employment and money thing before Jesus with no agenda of my own and put it in his lap and say, okay, you show me what to do, you tell me what to do, and I will work whatever you say. That puts me in a Jeremiah 17, seven position. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Does this mean that there is no doubt? 
Well, that depends on your level of trust. And I have been through many levels. I can honestly say I have asked and then I have doubted. But that puts us right back into James in the earlier chapter of James where it talks about being a wave tossed by the ocean. Let him assume he will not gain anything that he asks for because you have to ask without the doubt. If your faith is in things going bad and into the negative, then the good is not operating the way it is supposed to. But I also know that the doubt stems from not knowing the depth of the love that Jesus has for me in that area. Anywhere where I doubt, I can point to that and say, I don't understand how much you love me here, Father. Show me how much you love me here so that I can trust you without doubting. So what happens then? Again, I have to consciously submit myself to his leading. I must bring my emotions into alignment with the, my choice to be submitted. And I must be faithful in that choice. And whatever the Lord shows me, I have to follow through with it, knowing that his agenda is my benefit. And he's the only one who will ever have an agenda that is 100% completely without any deception, without any possibility for wounding. He will build me to where he wants me to be, and it will be a blessing. It will not benefit my flesh. It will not benefit my selfishness, my sexual lust, or emotional woundings to build them up. It will bring healing. It will bring peace. It will bring heavenly wisdom. It will bring forth my true identity and it will bring forth gentleness, mercy, and purity. So how do you discern heavenly wisdom versus demonically wisdom or earthly wisdom? Who does this wisdom promote? Is it promoting flesh? Then it's demonic or earthly wisdom. Is it promoting Jesus and the Father? That would be heavenly wisdom. Because when you're promoting the Father and Jesus, again, that's when the real you begins to come through. Is it promoting death? That would be demonic and earthly wisdom. Is it promoting life? That would be heavenly wisdom. What about selfishness? That would be demonic and earthly wisdom. How about selflessness? That would be heavenly. Discord and strife? Again, demonic and earthly. Unity and peace, again, that's heavenly. Now, mind you, disclaimer there, unity and peace does not mean telling everyone that sin is okay. Telling everyone that whatever they want to do is okay as long as everybody lives in peace. Because ultimately, that's promoting death. And if it's promoting death, then it's demonic and earthly wisdom. Submission to what Jesus is trying to do is heavenly wisdom defying what Jesus wants. That is demonic and earthly wisdom because we think we know better, we think we want better, and as a result, it brings us death. So that's it. That is a closer look at heavenly versus demonic or earthly wisdom. We now see that most of this just stems from how submitted we are to the Father and the processes that he wants to put us through we can see that submission in our heart and in our soul promotes the healing there that we're supposed to have so that we can obtain the identity that the Father has for us in the first place. And in that, we begin to see the wisdom of heaven coming through us with Jesus 
And then we are coming through with Jesus at the same time, who we were really supposed to be in the first place. Now, when I started this out, I did not realize I was going to be teaching on meekness yet again. But there you have it. There's no separation of earthly, I'm sorry, there's no separation of heavenly wisdom from submission to Jesus. Because that submission to Jesus and the Father is where the wisdom's going to come from. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us wisdom. Lord, we thank you that you have lavished us with your love and that all we have to do is submit to it. All we have to do is pursue you. Lord, we thank you that you are patient in that. And we give you the praise for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it for today's episode. Uh, Again, I will include my email down in the link. If any of this has stirred anything in you and you would like to talk more about it, if you would like to know how salvation works, by all means, send me an email. This is a one-man operation, and I will respond to you as fast as I am able to. But uh, be patient, because sometimes life gets crazy, as the later and later scheduling on this show has proven. So at any rate, You now know how to discern earthly or demonic wisdom from heavenly wisdom. Go out there, submit to Jesus, gain heavenly wisdom, and work it out in good conduct. Be blessed.